Hello and welcome all to a House of Hungry Ghosts episode four. I'm your host Sam. Oh, real names. And here, I wear the mask. I wear the persona, Sarka. So you call me Sam Sarka. And today I'll be sharing an interview with a good friend of mine who, in this space, wears the persona or mask of Ravenwood Clearwater. And we'll be talking about just that, the different masks and persona that we wear, and how they arise, and how we can get stuck in them and, and return to fluidity. You'll, you'll find out. But before we get started there, I'd like to start going through some notable days surrounding when these episodes come out. So I'll be reading from... The Pagan Book of Days by Nigel Pennock. Today's release date, the 25th of April, is Roman Robigalia, St. Mark's Day, or Cuckoo Day. St. Mark's Day is the old Roman festival of the Robigalia, the observance of which was magically intended to avert the spirit of mildew, which threatens crops around this time. For many years, the Litania Major of the Catholic Church for St. Mark's Day at Rome followed the earlier festival. Its purpose, like the Robigalia, was to gain the blessing of heaven for the growing crops. In traditional English lore, this is Cuckoo Day. The cuckoo, St. Mark's Gauk, heralds the arrival of migratory birds from the south, indicating the return of summer. April 28th is Floralia. The three-day Roman festival of Floralia commemorates the goddess Flora, deity of flowers and the pleasures of youth. Her feast day was noted for its license and medallions showing various positions of sexual enjoyment were distributed to the revelers. Beans and other seeds were thrown into the crowds denoting fertility and fecundity. April 29th, continuation of Floralia, as well as the beginning of the runic half-month of Lagu representing the flowing and mutable, yet irresistibly powerful and necessary forces of water. Lagu symbolizes the life force inherent in all matter, and the organic growth and waxing power of this time of year. April 30th, third day of Floralia, Salus, Walpurgis Night, May Eve, and St. Sophia. May Eve is the festival of the dead in Portugal and Spain. In Germany, it is Walpurgis Night, dedicated to the Saxon goddess Walpurga. On Walpurgis Night, 1990, the Brocken, the German witch's holy mountain, was reclaimed by women's groups. May 1st, cross-quarter day, Beltane, May Day, sixth station of the year, Kalends of May. This is one of the major pagan festivals of the year. It signifies mystical union, the time when the plant is in full growth and in harmony with the environment. May 2nd, Elena or St. Helen, a day sacred to the goddess Elena. As Helen, she is the goddess of the Holy Road, more particularly the four royal roads of Britain. In Wales, the causeways and roads called Sarn Helen are her holy old straight tracks. She is the Elaine of Arthurian romance. May 3rd, Bonadea Eve. The Eve of May 4th is the time sacred to Bonadea, the good goddess in the Roman tradition important in women's mysteries. 
to whom offerings were made in secret. May 4th, Bonadea and the Veneration of the Thorn. The hawthorn tree, sacred to the good goddess, is honored on this day. The hawthorn is often called the white thorn, and when it is flowering, the may tree. At the festival of the veneration of the thorn, holy bushes and trees, those marking sacred places and holy wells, are today acknowledged by having new scraps of cloth tied to them. May 6th, Avend Kelva. The Norwegian pagan martyr, Avend Kelva was killed on the orders of King Olaf Tryggvason for refusing to give up his faith in the pagan gods. The enlightenment of the Buddha is celebrated in many Buddhist traditions on the day of the full moon in May. May 7th, the Nones of May, the Helston Furry Dance. The famous furry or floral dance is traditionally performed at Helston in Cornwall. In former times, dancing through towns and villages was commonplace. So what we have for the next two weeks. And with those laid out, let's uh, let's go for a visit at the house.
So yeah, do you you want to get started? Yeah. So I guess we'll start off um, in context that the masks that people wear, mm. we all do it, whether we're consciously aware of it or not. And we have the tendency to interchange those masks. And my perspective on that would be that sometimes a mask begins to wear you. And we can see that on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Mm -hmm. I think the interchangeability of masks comes from people who actually know themselves. Um, and that gives the, the, them the adaptability to work with in particular archetypes within society that allows them to have a more meaningful experience in their own microcosm. Based on that, I mean, ritual, ritual mask work has been around since primitive man. Right. Um, we've donned on headdresses. We've made, you know, costumes for all sorts of ritual activity for from hunting to healing. Yeah, embodying the yeah. uh, the different things that we can identify with outside and within ourselves. Yeah, and, you know, and a big part of that, too, is it, it, it's not just coming from a material world. Right. It, it's coming from the dream world. It's coming from these other inspirations. Um, culturally, in your system or your environment. Um, and typically, the masks start to reflect that more and more that you expose yourself to your environments. You know, if we weren't living in civilized, quote unquote, society, it, we would be living in nature. Therefore, our masks would take on more of a naturalistic form. Right. In one way or another. Right. Sort of the way that like language informing culture and culture informing language, the masks we wear are are in some way a product of the world around us. Oh, um, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, and you mentioned dreams, and I've been reading Hillman's Dream in the Underworld, and in that he talks about, like, a dream is not necessarily a projection of the conscious world, but that those, like, soul forms or those underworld forms wear our, our images from our daily lives as masks to communicate with us. And most definitely so, and that's that's where I think Jung gets a lot of his like shadow, shadow aspect of his archetypes. Mm -hmm. It's um, those unconscious drivers that shape our experience in the the quote unquote real and waking they, world. Yeah, yeah, and they do take on different different forms and shapes, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, even us. You know, um, having a dream of friends in, in, in your, you know, non-waking reality. Those are essentially also aspects of yourself. Right. And, and they're also aspects. Part of what Hillman talks about is going beyond Jungian and Freudian psychology. So that it's not just aspects of yourself. It's also aspects of, like, the deeper spiritual soul gods archetypes non non-personalized non-material like reflective things 
And that's also very important to realize too, when it comes to analyzing masks and people, Mm. you know, because I think that some people don't even realize they're donning on those masks and having that interaction on their day to day. You kind of have to start working up into that through personal gnosis to get to that point of acknowledging not only what's behind the mask, but what what's behind the person wearing the mask. And then that reaches a point where that none of that really matters. <laughs> right. It's like you're diminishing the value of the experience and incarnating into a material form is is about the experience. You know? And you can know all day all that stuff. And it just gives you a more in-depth appreciation for the experience versus just a mundane interaction, which right. I think is really important. Right. That reminds me of the the Ellen Watts piece you sent me about masks and, and the actors and, and the suspension of disbelief and how like incarnating into a body is like in some ways agreeing to play this game, to play this part, to wear the mask and walk around in the world wearing a mask. But realizing that that's what you're doing can help you avoid getting trapped trapped in like identification with that well and that's that's i think one of our problems with what we're facing as a society as an example is that one we're forgetting that we're donning a mask Mm -hmm. which leads to a lack of appreciation for the person wearing the mask um and which leads to less compassion which leads to objectification and a lower moral status and perspective and moral in the the point of being open, empathetic, and compassionate towards one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also, within that, you, when you start to label people's masks and put them into categorizations, you're actually becoming less empathic and less compassionate. Mm-hmm. Um, because then that mask actually takes on this form that solidifies a group of people into a particular reality dynamic that you place ultimate judgment on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that restricts your ability to connect with those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also restricts their ability to connect with you. And at the same time, you're putting on that mask to that particular group of people. You yourself are putting on a mask at the same time, right? And that's right. where that that interaction of reality happens. And I I see society right now in such a space where those masks have become the ego identity of what people attach themselves to. And what that's done is when you consistently dawn on that mask time and time again, you actually believe that that's who you are. And I think that's part of that ego trap that we've stumbled into. Right, especially if you don't have any like framework context to know that you're wearing a mask because then you don't have any of that awareness of like, Oh, like this is a role I'm playing. This is who I am in this field. You know, it's, you know, as simple as like people acting like assholes and arguing on the internet is you have this mask of anonymity. And so you can become this other entity. And, and there are people who absolutely like get lost and totally, totally attached to and invested in that. I mean, fandoms, I think, work in a lot of the same way of things that I like 
you know, I love Star Wars. So that's my entire identity. That's a mask that I wear that I'm now like fused to and attacks on freaking storylines or choices, creative choices can become perceived as personal attacks because of that identification. Well, I think those things are also important though, because, because it allows for a unique experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a part of the ego solidification is actually coming from more of a monotheistic philosophy because the identification of one ego to represent the all has become the dawning mask. There's all these different personalities within yourself that want to express themselves in unique ways where you're prohibiting their expression, which therefore is leading to their, their darker archetypes. You know, when you suppress that, you're actually shunning an aspect of yourself in its ability to express in the material world. Whereas in mystic, animistic, and pagan perspectives, it naturally occurs. And in doing so, it creates a space that's sacred to each one of those personalities to express itself freely. And uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying wearing a mask is a bad thing. Right, right, of course. It's it's how it's donned or how it's solidified within the ego that is the main point, right? Mm-hmm. And it's our ability to know when to wear the mask and when to take it off. You know, when we're compassionate to each other, we're actually taking those masks off. We're sharing a deeper sense of self with one another. And that's that's kind of the beautiful thing about masks in and of itself is that you can use it for many purposes, right? You can use it to repel, you can use it to attract, you can use it to to discover. It's a tool in the toolbox of incarnation, right? right. In the reality field. Mm-hmm. And you just have to remember through the process of self-knowledge to remain true to that self you know, and allow those inner, inner selves to express themselves in unique ways. And I think that when we limit those expressions is when we actually start creating and causing pain in ourselves and outside of ourselves because of that. Hmm. Um, when it comes to like what we enjoy, we all enjoy different things. We also don't like a lot of things, right? Those things we try and change, you know, inside of ourselves and out in the world. Mm-hmm. Or avoid. Exactly. Um, in, in doing so, you, you're consistently creating, which is another very interesting thing is your mind. You know, your mind in and of itself can be influenced to don on a mask to carry out a certain particular behavior. Mm-hmm. Right? So that gets into a whole other circle of of creativity in regards to mask work um and that comes essentially from companies corporations trying to sell you a product Mm -hmm. a company is trying to sell you a product you become that product regardless of what it is because you've consciously sought something out because you viewed it in a certain way 
and you then you incorporate that into self, which can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. I mean, you can see that with the the dawning of the advertisement age, right? You know, when it's hardcore pushed on Americans, mm-hmm. Coca Cola, you know, watch sports ball, drink Budweiser. <laughs> I mean, it's all there. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The only reason why you're attracted to that is because they sold you a mask and you right. put it on out the the whole equation. Mm-hmm. A personality that is appealing in the societal play mm-hmm. that, that they have also created. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with that. Inherently. Right. Right. Um, people want to have those experiences. Mm-hmm. That's where the society, societal aspect of it comes, right? Which you have to analyze too as an individual, right? And that that is kind of where the importance of knowing mask identity comes into the knowledge of self. It's harder to sell someone a product or a philosophy or a way of being or any of that if they know themselves um, and that knowledge of self comes from individual work on self. Um, and that's, that's the deeper parts of psychology that many people get into and want to change which is a part of that alchemical process. Right. Um, I, th- I, th- I think that there's also a, s- a strong communal component of that. Because like you were talking about earlier, having interactions where it is safe to be vulnerable, safe to not wear the like more armored masks, the masks that are closer to some of the like deeper parts of ourselves, like having those places, even my own personal experience, you know, allows for much deeper knowledge of self and discovery of self, the safety to like explore try on different masks and some of them don't work and you know sometimes you fuck up and make mistakes and there's the safety to explore all of those things well and and rightfully so i mean (laughs) if you wear your warrior mask into the comedy show you're not going to get much out of it you know what i mean absolutely yeah (laughs) Because it's you'll get heckled, that's for sure. <laughs> you mix match in there, which I mean is also an experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I think what people are seeking now is more meaningful experiences. They're not getting that, and what's 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 happening because they're not getting that meaningful experience out of life is we're actually getting more shadow masks in society. Absolutely. And because of that, we're getting more violence we're getting more immoral behavior we're getting more attacks on psyche because of of that because there's not these places for freedom of expression within the individual Hmm. you know um artists typically have a way easier time dealing with a lot of this stuff yeah Uh, and all art forms. I'm not. I'm not just saying one particular art. All of. Them. And if you really want to see it, like go sit in. Like, and I recommend this is go sit in on a college acting class, and see who is is able to interact. In my experience of that, 
it was few people. It would be a class of 30 people, but there would only be five people who were willing to like really put in the effort to change themselves and dynamically fit a situation of experience. And that can also be intoxicating because if you can break people away from their solidified ego identity, the mask that they wear, then they become flexible within mm-hmm. that space, right? And that's a double-edged sword. That's, that's, it can be useful to gain self-knowledge from, but if you're in that space of manipulation, you can also twist that to your advantage. Mm-hmm. Right? So with, with this too, there's a light side to it, there's also a dark side to it. Of course, right? yeah. yeah. And I, I find that in analyzing the way that media is used in context, that it does something similar. If you look, if someone approaches a television set or their media from their, their central self, their governing mm-hmm. self, it's going to be harder to sell them on something, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you're able to break that just a little bit and create uncertainty, then they can slide that other, that manipulation factor in there. Mm-hmm. And when they do that, then what they're doing is they're actually pulling one of those other aspects of self to the front and getting mm-hmm. that attention, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where you're hooked, right? I mean, just look at how news works, right? You got the potential stories for the day, right? Boom, 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 boom. And you're running in your head of all the things that went on throughout your day. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then they're going to hit you with, you know, another story. But then after that story is done, boom, advertisement. Right. right. After the break, sports ball. <laughs> you know, after sports ball, they do the community events. And then you can see the template right there. Mm-hmm. They're catering to all these different aspects of self all these different masks, but between those, those slits, they're sliding another one in there, right? Mm. That, in that consciousness and you have to work with that. Right. Right. Even social media does that. You can see that on Facebook. If you look at the Facebook threads, that's what they're designed for. They're right. designed to get your attention. They'll put a break in it and then they'll redesign your attention. It feeds. It's a, it's, it's called a feed for a reason is because it's <laughs> an identity that you have. Right. right? And if right. And it tunes the algorithm to, to work particularly well with whatever self construct that they have, that's been read yeah. from your like ongoing engagement. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and, and that's like, that's why the knowledge of self is so important, you know, really in cultivating inner guidance. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's interesting to see that, you know, our baseline society, and that's globally, it's not just even on a local level, it's global. Mm-hmm. It, it went from a search for self and self identity and how to work within the confines and framework of that self identity to a more corporate built structured reality. And the pressure has been put on in such a way that individuals are now on the outskirts of that. And mm-hmm. they've become the, the, the analyzers of that society. And they feel more or less 
to participate in that society because to know yourself is actually to be on the outskirts now where it used to be the search for self was a societal value right but society no longer values that so the search for self has now become essentially a rebellious act hmm. so in context of that that's where the mask of the rebel comes in right, right? Um, and I, think, I was gonna say and that's where lewis hides lewis hides yeah. trickster makes the world yeah yeah i think that's where his analyzation of the trickster mask and the trickster figure is really important for people who are trying to break away from that base society right mm -hmm. break away from i would say what's Condition. become normalized yeah, yeah condition. conditioned reality yeah that um definitely we'll we'll keep going into trickster and trickster makes the world but there was a really amazing segue that i slept on a little bit um <laughs> talking about the search for self and that previously being sort of the focal point and and there's a, a connection there with the hero myth that i think um, is a good lead in and i think one of the one of the interesting things I was reading about uh, reading Campbell's stuff, and there's a there's a quote that I read that says the usual person is more than content, even proud, to remain within the indicated bounds, and popular belief gives him every reason to fear so much as the first step into the unexplored. And my my critical thinking was immediately engaged because it seemed posited as like an inherent quality of separation of people that, you know, like celebrities are our heroes, right? Celebrities are those that, that have whatever codified and accepted identity in our society. And the rest of us are whatever outside plebeian analyzers. We're here to, to shower whatever. And let's see. Which has been, I mean, honestly, which has been the natural role within society since um, the class system, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, in context to that, that's why, you know, they were having fantastical parties with these incredible symbolic dresses and ornaments, like all that stuff. Masks, <laughs> masquerades. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> And it all adds to the the theater, right. you know, of right. the whole thing. And that's, you know, in Hindu philosophy, that's a really big one, you mm. know, um, especially within Raja Yoga is that we are all actors on the stage. That's mm -hmm. like one of, of the deeper, you know, meditations that one can participate in is when you come to that realization, what it's not saying is, it's not saying to withdraw from the world. It's saying to act within it, right? But the problem therein lies is how people act in it, right? Because in our society, what we see is we get from the media, right? We get from movies that we watch. I mean, all those things. People take what they see and enact it into the world. Right. You know? And with that, that's where we start getting into the reality of the stage and can we help to do that 
can't we help to do that? So that's two questions there. Like, is it something that's naturally occurring or is it a willful act? And right. if it's not a willful act, then we're operating on an unconscious way. Therefore, we're not in alignment with self. Therefore, that programming is running. So then you're not acting within a consciousness. You're not acting within compassion and you're not acting within a heart-based center. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you're not even a part of the program. Like you yourself, you're just you're just running running a, a, a program at that point. Oh, and, and, and that, man, I th- I've been thinking in, in video game terms so much lately. <laughs> and, it, and it's like relegating self to NPC status. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that ties into the, the hero myth as well, is there are a, su- a select few who have genius, who are called. We all want to be the main, main characters. We all feel like the main characters in our story. And that leads to other feelings of betrayal when, you know, we can't go on the hero's journey and save the world or, you know, reach the heights of, of whatever. But yeah, it's, it's the select few. And I think that gets into, like you're saying, like class, nobility, strong men leaders, all of these people plug into the hero, the individualistic savior archetype of, of the hero that I think came about largely after it got framed as a monomyth, as like the basis of everything. And if that's like the only foundational story that people can operate from, that's the only place that people are going to be, you know, conceptualizing the world about. So I want to be the hero, but I'm not the hero. Well, in in my perspective of that, the only reason why they're not the hero is because they have no self-identity. You know what I mean? Like it takes the process. It's a cyclic. That's why it's called a monomyth, right? Is it's a cyclical process. And it doesn't mean that you're the hero in your waking reality. It means that you're going through the the transformative process in that cyclical pattern. And Mm. it's always going to be a cyclical pattern, right? Because that's, that's the oldest, I would say myth in, in the world is the process of becoming. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I would, I would say that the association of, of the core myth of becoming with a particular journey that is the hero's journey has become over-connected and over-identified and that there are other ways, other mythic archetypes that can lead to self-discovery and go through those transformative journeys um, that don't lead to the maybe the same kind of egoism, individualism, and hierarchies of putting ourselves over others of like seeking seeking power and and authority and things like that. One of my go ahead. One of one of my my favorites that I've been really exploring lately is Michael Mead's genius myth, and I've been trying to remember a story that he tells about going on the journey and it being like an internally motivated journey, you know, rather than being being called by some external force, like the hero myth, it is the inherent curiosity and, and seeking for the unknown. And so this guy, you know, he goes out and 
he has like a dream or or something and he goes out and he just has to see more of the world and he goes seeking to the city and he gets to the city and his his vision stops at the gates of the city and and he so he doesn't know what to do so he starts pacing back and forth back and forth back and forth and he digs this big rut and he's there forever you know and a guard comes out and he's like yo like i've seen you lost out here and this is the part of the story that i can't remember and i haven't <laughs> i haven't been able to track it down but he he reveals something something to this guy, guy which sparks the realization that the goal the gold the the mythic or alchemical or symbolic gold that he was searching for out in the world is hidden behind the hearth of his own home and so he goes home and and finds this great treasure and then it gets shared within his community and and i think like the the you know the message is that we have these gifts within ourselves it's not a, an external thing and but we have to go out into the world and explore and and find ourselves so that we can like return to ourselves and i again you know there's there's details there and the the learning where the departure from the hero's myth um is ongoing so i'm i'd be curious to hear your thoughts well I would have to say that if you don't want to call it a hero myth, you're still going to go through the same process. Okay. Yeah. Because it's, it's not, it's more of a metaphor for becoming right. Regardless mm. of what that process is. Some people choose to take that to a more, I would say reality space. Some people choose to take it to a more internal space but you have to go through the process in one way or another, right? Like if you're going to master something, whatever it is, you're going to have to first initiate yourself along that process. You're going to have to go through the hardships of that. You're going to have to discover the value of that. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be so excited by discovering the value of that. You're going to want to pass it on. Right. Right. So right. In, in a more... I would say analytical perspective of the hero's journey. It's not wholly necessarily about the hero exerting his will against other people, because eventually if that's what one so chooses to do, you're going to have to go through the hero process again, because you're going to create an adversary <laughs> right? So is going to teach you. Right. right? right. And, whatever form that takes on you know what i'm saying so it's once again getting back to masks it's the mask that you wear when entering the journey that will give you your destination mm -hmm. so if you're entering the journey as an egotistical prick by the end of it you're going to be one humble human being because that's the process it's the process of change it's the process of becoming mm -hmm. but it all starts with the initiation into the process, whether that be of your own free will or whether it be of internal. Um, and, and internal ass kicking or an ex external yeah. ass kicking, right? Either way, right? The process right. is going to start and kick that whole thing off. Right. What, what I think ends up happening with the majority of people is they don't want to go through the process. 
They want to go to the destination. Hmm. They want the instant gratification of it, right? Not realizing that they're never going to get the instant gratification. Therefore, they supplement that with all this void work. And I mean that in the most sincere way. Mm-hmm. But filling that with, you know, the pleasures of the material world. Mm-hmm. And that supplements their whole hero's journey, right? Well, mm-hmm. they don't have to. And you can turn anything into the journey. That's the thing. Like, it's not supposed to be this, like, hardcore Jason and the Argonauts, like, thing, right? It can be simple stuff. It right. can be a piece of art. But you have to initiate that to start the whole process, right? Mm-hmm. Because eventually, you're going to get into that space. You're going to start getting into, you know, your own little myth that reveals this whole thing about yourself. And then before you know it, you're starting to create. And when you're starting to create like that, you're actually enacting your will, your true will into the world, Mm. right? And when you're doing those kinds of processes, when you're in alignment with true will, what what you're actually accomplishing is you're accomplishing a state of being that does not affect the will of others and their right to existence. Mm. I would also, I want to posit an, an, an alternative that it isn't the, the act of creation isn't necessarily embodying true personal will, but channeling deeper yes. collective will or, you know, that core creative force in the universe. Yeah. In context to that, too, I mean, I think a lot of problems arise from immature will because there has been a lack of mentorship within society towards mm-hmm. younger generations. Therefore, they think that they're acting out of their true will by lying, cheating, stealing, and thieving. But in all actuality, what that is, is that's ego-based will. That's that's mask will, right? Like, they're not even identified and don't know who they are, so therefore they're participating in the hero's journey in a very conniving and malicious way, mm. right? And I think that's, that's, I mean, that's wearing masks that society presents, too. Yeah. Part of the issue of education, I think, is is, you know... Aside from modeling, you know, modeling a punitive, you know, schools are modeled after prisons, but also through school, you're taught the world works X, Y, Z this way. And there's the conflict of how it actually exists even then and what you're taught. But then you get out into the world and rules, quote unquote, of compassion and, you know, community care, those things that are in some ways upheld in schools don't exist and don't get you anywhere. The conniving, lying, thieving, callous sociopathy, those are the ways to material power in the world that we have created and models and, you know, media shows that too. So then those are all environmental, correct? Right. Those are, those are the masks that are modeled as as how how to be and so when you don't have an education to self-discovery and self-knowledge you're more susceptible to to donning a mask like that 
the the masks that are modeled and presented which naturally like would bring up that whole monomyth within the context of the that particular mask work right mm -hmm. so like either way like the circle of of the journey is is going to be different depending on the donning of the mask right and the environment right. that is acquired within that the material status of a person does not reflect their individual self absolutely right so and that's when you start getting into like the psychopath sociopath aspect of some people in this world they don't dawn on many masks they hmm. dawn on one mask and that's manipulation and they wear that mask their entire life because they do not feel they have literally come to that space where they have one agenda and one agenda only and that is service to the material self mm -hmm. i want to hold on to that because that is the only thing that they know that is the only thing that they understand they don't care about other people's feelings they don't act from a compassionate way mm -hmm. and this kind of framework that they set for themselves is what they promote within the society because right. that gives them a power differential between those who don't know and them who do know mm. right? because if they know how the game works and you're playing their game then you will always lose mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's interesting that as i i often think about the effectiveness of a lot of those those types of personalities being the shadow side of a of a trickster-ish role the unconscious um, enactment of trickster fluidity because while that core self we could talk about the core self of of a sort of sociopathic psychopathic being you know as you said solely in service of material gain that is a type of void a non product non non-creative void or like a black hole or whatever mm -hmm. but in service of that there is a powerful ability to reflect the person that you're interacting with to get what you want from them right to manipulate them mm -hmm. and and there's there's so i think there's an aspect of extreme fluidity in wearing different masks and mm -hmm. that because there's this attunement to the masks that other people are wearing around you i mean that that was something that i don't remember who but uh, one of the early contacted um, indigenous people said is you know they have the the trickster and coyote and they said wow you know these these settlers who are here in this material way in 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 that sort of like single-minded materialism are so deeply embodying that that trickster archetype but they don't know it and it makes them incredibly dangerous but the role as the trickster is a revealer right mm -hmm. so as they donned that on and took advantage of, of their 
their right to exist, they revealed their true nature, right? Mm -hmm. Which that true nature within that, and not nature in that, it's like the quote unquote, right? It's not in that refined frame. Let's rephrase that into programmed nature. They're programmed nature because that's essentially what it is, right? right? They were programmed a specific way to carry out a specific task by somebody else. Mm -hmm. right? by, the, by the predominant society that they were coming from, what they brought, yeah. the programming over the ocean. John Trudell talks about that in, yeah. in his DNA talk. Yeah. Which is super crucial to understand with the whole dynamic of this, right? Within the context of that, is that it's a program. It's a program carried out, conveniently enough. Well, I'm just going to throw this in as a caveat, is that what do you do when you, you know, the normie sits down after a hard days of work and they watch their television programming mm -hmm. so back into the content <laughs> mm -hmm. is that it gets back to that, how things are programmed. If, if you're living out a particular mythology, a hero's myth, whatever it is, if you're not in control of it, and someone else is, you're going to live out that entire program. Hmm. And we can see that within historical context. With every society that has risen and fallen, they have lived out a program that was manufactured and administrated through the power of institutions at their particular point in time. Right? Okay. So that continuously has happened time and time again. Right. And to break away from that is to change the mask, to say, fuck it, I'm done with it. Pardon my French is probably one of the larger aspects to the human identity and tool that nobody knows that they have. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. And I think if you don't realize it, that's where other people come in. That's where other people like give you the nudge. You know, mm. like, oh, man, it just creates that, like, crack in that mask or that ego identity that is, like, life-shattering in a way, mm. you know? So with back to the, the, the Native experience and you know, the, the settlers, like, knowing that, one, they came up against this, this being. So there's a monomyth, a micromyth also with inside of that. So now they've got to work with this whole, I would say, dark trickster aspect, have heroes arise from that, have people come and try and heal that, have people try and transform that negative um, aspect, right? Mm -hmm. But it works both ways because the people who are in that space, they're looking at it from the complete opposite perspective. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's like you have these two masks that are conflicting. Right. right? Their value systems. Right. Which I think is actually a very normal um, aspect of human psychology when it comes down to that. Right. Mm. Um, it's a normal aspect in our search and as seekers for true knowledge is when we have those conflicts is actually when we start learning the most about not only ourselves but about the world mm -hmm. about the nature the true nature that we exist in mm -hmm. um, i think i think that part of the tool that allows for that back to love it when it comes back around 
I the, know, right? <laughs> the detachment of personhood from mask. Because if you come into contact, if, if you if you come into conflict, you know, with those those differing psychologies of two masks come into conflict, and your entire ego, if your entire self is attached to that mask, I think that's viewed as a personal existential threat. And, and, and so there's no room for... Yeah. That's where the existential crisis comes in. Mm. Just to kind of add to what you're saying is I think that's super huge to understand is in... I think you'll find that actually, uniquely enough, you'll find that in every major religion and institution that exists in the world. As what? Right? Uh, the existential crisis. Hmm. When someone goes against their programming, that's when they start having those crisis points. Right? Hmm. Hmm. Um, and I think that's also where the most manipulation has the potential to occur hmm. mm-hmm. during that existential crisis, right? Hmm. Because, I mean, you can also see that, that throughout history, right? And you can see it manufactured on a daily basis. That's the crazy part is that it's no longer like these sections in history. It's happening every day now. Mm-hmm. You give them an existential crisis and then you give them the solution. They're going to run that programming too. Whereas right. like previously before, it was harder to do and you had to do it longer because people knew who they were. They knew their identity to their tribe. They knew their identity to the land. And then and above all else, they knew their identity to the universe mm-hmm. they knew their identity to the whole thing right right well that's that's um again god i john trudell really just love his thought paths and 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 talking um in in dna descendant now ancestor he talks about the christian church particularly but i think a as you were saying, like institution, when, when a religion becomes an institution and, and fundamentalism comes in and hierarchies come in and centralized power structures, that there's a function of convincing or enforcing that you don't have a personal connection, a personal knowledge of your relationship with the universe. You have to go to somebody else for that. And so if your parish your local parish priest has the authority to determine your relationship with divinity or society or whatever they get to choose what masks you wear right they they get to they get to determine who you are and sap that power of self-determination well and which is even more crazy because if you look in context if he's just following out said ban from parish if he's just following out an, an institution's program as the mediator between said institution and society he's actually acting on a non-local identity right which mm-hmm. is not an embodiment within the material world it's actually an embodiment within the psyche mm-hmm. now we're getting into egregore right that's yeah, that's essentially exactly. the the concept of egregore, which I didn't, I was not aware of until <laughs> like the last time we really hung out, and and that blew my mind. So so, 
I don't know if this is the place to, to really dive into that or if we should come back to that later and dedicate some time. We can hit Egregore up at, later on at a later date. Mm -hmm. um, the eventual part, we'll save, we'll save that. Yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's a huge relationship between Egregore and Mask. Yes. It needs to be brought to the forefront in people's attention in our modern time period because it is very significantly important. And if we don't get on it, it will lead to our destruction. And that is such a crucial matter that leading up into that, we have to understand how these things work first. Right. 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 We have to understand why we wear a particular mask for particular tasks, mm -hmm. which is also pretty interesting. Why do we wear the masks for particular tasks? Right. Right. You're not the same person when you go to work as when you get off work. Right. You're not the same person when you're skateboarding, when you're surfing. You know, you're not the same person when you're making a painting, when you're doing music, like all those tasks take on different personalities and traits of their own. Well, we sure talked a whole lot and got real into the conversation. And so I think we'll leave it there today. It is leaving it on something of a dramatic cliffhanger. But I hope that uh, inspires some thought and brings you back to hear the rest of our conversation. Uh, next time, as usual, you can find us on Instagram at House of Hungry Ghosts with a period in between each word, or on Twitter at a h o h g underscore pod. Always welcome and encouraged to share your stories or chat with me about your experiences at. A-H-O-H-G period stories at gmail.com. Please share this with a friend who might be interested. We're not advertising anywhere, so word of mouth is really the only way we're, we're growing this community. And until next time, take care, eat well, and put your feet in the grass.